With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 34 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. My name is Jack Tate, here with the first episode of the pod since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was confirmed as permanent manager of Manchester United. I will of course be giving my reaction to a true club legend being appointed as manager of United on a permanent basis before looking at a rather dull and uninspiring 2-1 win over Watford at the weekend in Sir Ole's first game since being appointed. We'll also be hearing from Harry for the first time since he jetted off to South America as he gives his reaction to Oli being appointed permanently and also gives us an update on the state of United supporters in Colombia. Then, as usual, we will have the youth loan and women's roundup before looking ahead to a hectic fixture list coming up, starting with the game against Wolves tomorrow night. But without any further ado, let's get into talking about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Obviously, the biggest news that, that we could have imagined this week coming out that Oli has been appointed on a, on a permanent basis. There'd been a few rumblings throughout the international break that this might be the time when United announce it. Those rumblings got stronger in the second week of the break. And on Thursday, it was finally confirmed that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is now the permanent United manager after being given a three-year contract to stay at the club. So my initial reaction was one of surprise, actually, I'm not going to lie. Um, not, not that Ole had been appointed, because I think... After the form we've had since he's been appointed, we were all pretty much expecting this. I was surprised at the timing of it, though. I know there had been a lot of reports in in the uh, during the break in the first and second week of the international break, so I was braced for it because of those reports. But I was very shocked when those reports initially came out, just because it seemed like a, a strange time to me, anyway, to be announcing it publicly. You know, we just come off a couple of losses uh, in back-to-back games against Arsenal and Wolves. And you know, it doesn't. We weren't in crisis or anything like that. But there was some adversity there, and I, I was surprised that the club went ahead and announced Ollie's permanent appointment so quickly after uh, after two losses that you know weren't 
awful defeats, but neither of the performances were, were particularly good. And I think it would have been good to see how Oli managed to kind of rouse the team back from, from those defeats. But to be fair, I'm not surprised that he's been appointed in a more general sense. If you look at the form we've had since he's come in, you know, it's title winning form and he couldn't have done any any more than we than he has to warrant being appointed. And so in that sense, I'm not surprised at all um, at the news. I, I'm I'm not conflicted about Oli being appointed at all. I think it's the right decision. Like I said, he's proved himself in the in the first what was it now nineteen games I think since he's been appointed. And if he wasn't appointed after the kind of form that we've shown under him, then to me it would just show that the club were never considering him in the first place. And you know, really, he does deserve it based on on what he's done so far. So I'm not conflicted about that in any way. I am slightly conflicted about the timing of it like I said it, it just seemed strange I, I still personally don't think there was a need to announce it this early at least not publicly because now the club have kind of put themselves in a position where if we go to the end of the season in really bad form which you know who, who are we to say that isn't going to happen I don't think it will happen but strange things strange, strange things do do come about in football we know that what if we go on a really bad run of form end up finishing sixth get absolutely trounced by Barcelona and end up ending the season in a really kind of negative mood. The club have now kind of backed themselves into a corner with no way out of that. And Solskjaer is, is now obviously appointed as the permanent manager. I, so I was surprised in that sense just because I think the club kind of took away their own options. Whereas if, you know, worse does come to worst and, and we have an awful end to the season, at least without appointing him now, they would have had a way to kind of get out of it. But on the flip side of that, the obviously massive, massive benefit of appointing Solskjaer now is that we can start planning for the summer and beyond. Because as important as the end of this season is, and it really is, we need to get Champions League football next year. Obviously got massive games against Barcelona coming up, which I can't wait for. As important as the end of the season is, the summer is arguably as, if not more important than the end of this season. Because this is a make or break summer transfer window for us. We have a squad that I think can go one of two ways from now. It can either, with a good transfer window, and not that doesn't just mean good players being brought in, it means the right players being shipped out, I think could become a very, very good squad very quickly. We have a very good nucleus at the moment. You, know, you look at the spine of our team with De Gea, Pogba, uh, Lindelof at the back, and then Rashford. You know, that is a very, very good and pretty young spine of a, of a team. And that is a really, really good nucleus to build around. But as we've seen so many times this season, the pieces around that that kind of nucleus are not what they need to be. And it is, it's in those positions where we really need to focus and we really need to have a good, strong summer transfer window. And that is obviously the benefit of appointing Oli now because we can start planning. You know, there's no uncertainty as to who the manager's going to be. There's no uncertainty as to what system we're going to play, as to what players would fit that system. Oli now can direct the board towards the players that he wants, identify targets and start working on some of these deals early. You see so many other clubs, you know, getting their deals done early and making sure that everything's done by by the time pre-season is, is sort of really underway. And we haven't done that, I don't think, quite well enough in the last few years. I think we need to be start start working on deals now. Having said that, though, I will say Oli being appointed is not the be-all and end-all of that. You know, there's a lot more that goes into a summer transfer window than just having a permanent manager appointed. That obviously helps with the direction of it. But the most important thing now is what happens around Oli. We need to secure Mike Phelan because by all accounts, he has been very, very influential, both in the training ground and on game days in terms of 
coming up with a lot of the tactics we've been putting into place, directing a lot of the training sessions. And I don't think we can underestimate the impact that he has had both on Oli and the players since Solskjaer was first appointed. So we need to sort Mike Phelan's contract out, make sure that he's coming back next season. And the same with Michael Carrick as well, who, again, has, by all accounts, done a great job, both as Mourinho's and now uh, one of Solskjaer's assistants. But maybe even more important than that is we need a technical director, a director of football, sporting director, whatever you want to call it. We need someone in that position to be taking charge of our transfers because I do not trust Ed Woodward and this board to be in charge of another transfer window. We have seen too many times in the last five or ten years, or maybe not ten years, last sort of five, five or six, seven years, Ed Woodward and this board messing up summer transfer windows, spending massive amounts on players that are never worth it, handing out ex- ridiculous wage packages to players that don't deserve it. And now you see players kind of demanding massive, massive wages whenever they come here. And it, it gives the club kind of no option because you can't start play, paying players less than they're earning now. And I, I don't want to see that again. Like I said, this is such an important transfer window for us coming up because we could go and more, and become a genuine title challenging squad. I, I genuinely think we have that potential in our squad and with a few additions and the right people leaving, that is the level this squad can be at very, very quickly. But a bad transfer window where there is inactivity, both in terms of not enough players coming in and not the right players coming in, but also not the right players leaving, could see us slip back and just remain this sort of fifth, sixth place side that we have been for the last couple of years. That is not what we want, obviously, that we can't afford another year like this. We have to start challenging for the title. And this summer transfer window is massively, massively important to that. So I'm over the moon that Oli's been appointed. I think it is the right decision despite the fact that I think that the timing is a little bit odd, I had no no qualms about Oli being appointed. Um, and I am very, very happy that we're able to start planning now for the summer. But the challenge is not over. The challenge really has just begun because, sure, we've appointed Oli. We have sort of a set manager in place. We know the kind of players we should be identifying and Oli can help with that. But that is only half the challenge now. The other half is getting the structure around the club right, making sure that the board get their act together. We have the right transfer policy in place. We have the right assistance in place around Ollie. And then next season and in the summer, we can hit the ground running, make the signings we need to, and then come into next season with a great manager in place, a great uh, support staff around him with the assistance and the great transfer structure in place at the board level to make sure that we cannot, that Ed Woodward is nowhere near making transfers again. Because we've seen too many times in the last five or six years examples where Ed Woodward and the board have completely messed up our transfers and we cannot afford that to happen again. So before I throw it over to Harry to give his thoughts on Oli being appointed, just the last thing from me on, on Solskjaer's appointment is, you know, I've had a few days to kind of digest this now. It was a part of the reason why I didn't make a podcast straight after the news came out because I wanted to be able to give kind of a, a cold, objective kind of view of what I'm feeling and that's why I've just given. But... You know, on the on the flip side of it, you've got to say, just from a romantic point of view, it's bloody brilliant to have a club legend as manager of this football club. I mean, we're talking about a guy who came in in, what was it, 1996, I think, scored 120-odd goals for the club, adores this club more than most players that we've ever had, and now we're looking at him as manager. I mean, you couldn't write a better script than that. You really couldn't. It's just incredible to see. And, you know, as anyone who loves the club 
you can't help but feel massively, massively excited about the prospect of Solskjaer potentially leading us back to to glory in the club that we know that we should be. And after all the all the hard times that we've had in the last few years, you know, as fans having hope after hope that any number of managers and players that have come and gone would would get us back to the top. The prospect of Oli being the one to do that, you know, and with staff made up of Phelan from the Ferguson days and Carrick as a player in the Ferguson days, you know, that potential there is just amazing. And as a kind of from a foot, there isn't much romanticism left in football these days, but this would be a, a a story for the football romantics because it would just be bloody brilliant if he was the one to lead us back to glory. And that, that partly that was why I didn't make a, an episode straight after he was appointed because I knew it would just be me kind of gushing like that. Um, so I left it a few days so I could give a more objective view of it. But from a romantic point of view, it's just it's just great. And I cannot wait to see what we're going to look like next next season. So with that, let me turn it over to Harry uh, to give his views on the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Hello, um, I'm standing in a, a central park. It's not called Central Park, but in a park in the middle of Cartagena on Colombia's Caribbean coast. Um, and I woke up to the news this morning that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been appointed permanent Manchester United manager. The inevitable has uh, become the reality, I guess. Um, it's before I begin to kind of break it down more, as I'm sure Jack has done already, or will do in a second. Um, it's just the fact that the man who won us the treble in 1999, Manchester United manager, is a sensational feeling, um, and I think one that already we had begun to take for granted. Seeing him on the touchline in his pristine suit with his, his smiley face. Um, baby-faced assassin. So versus is, is fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to next season already. Um, and yeah, we we come into the international break on the back of two defeats. It's the worst spell in Oli and Solskjaer's first 19 games in charge. But at the same time, we've had some incredible moments. We're still in a top four race. We're still in the Champions League. Um, and what he's done in three months means that he completely deserves a job. Um, without too much doubt. Um, there, there remain some serious questions over whether Manchester United can turn themselves back into title challenges. Uh, I'm wary of saying they can because the structure remains exactly the same as when Louis van Gaal was manager and we heard him in an interview with the BBC um, a couple of days before Solskjaer was appointed talking about the poor structure um, to do with recruitment. And United haven't United haven't lacked in terms of uh, quantity of recruitment. It's been in terms of the quality and the structure and the the long-term planning. But I assume Solskjaer um, will be given the full three years. Uh, United, although they do sack managers, tend to give them at least two years. So maybe uh, maybe I assume Solskjaer will be given at least two years unless someone goes drastically wrong to try and shake this side into into the team he wants it to be. Uh, and that's an exciting prospect. United need to make sure that they implement a structure. It's the same thing we've been saying since this podcast started in 2016. Uh, we started off the back of a 2-1 win against Swansea City when Wayne Rooney scored a little back-heel goal under Louis van Gaal. Uh, seemed like it might turn things around very slightly. Um, but a lot of the same issues that were present then remain present now. 
and that is uh, the failure of Ed Woodward and stuff. But Solskjaer deserves it. Uh, you might be able to hear Colombian shouting in the background. Um, it's the strange thing is I was more excited when Solskjaer was given it as a as the caretaker manager because now it's permanent that feeling of of risk and the fact that it could turn into Kenny Dalglish. Roberto Di Matteo, whoever, it could turn into one of those where we look to regret appointing a former player. That feeling of risk is now present because he's permanent manager. And me and Jack both said, wait until the end of the season. Um, should we have waited until the end of the season? I'm not sure. I, my gut feeling is yes. I think we should have waited. But at the same time, this is you can you can look at this decision in two ways. Firstly, that uh, it's taking some balls to just go for it and go for it straight away and that also it shows that United are immediately thinking to the long term straight away rather than waiting, waiting, waiting. That would be the, the positive way to look at it. The perhaps negative way to look at it would be the fact that this is the easy decision for Ed Woodward and the Manchester United board. They can't go wrong. If Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fails, the fans won't be displeased. Um, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer succeeds, they're, they're seen as, as perfect because of the fact they appointed early, they started planning long term. Um, you would hope the United have some transfer targets for the summer. We need a right winger. Um, there's been lots of talks about lots of different players. Almost certain that all of them are, are false, or at least 90% of them are false. Hard to tell the, the fact from the fiction, but we shall see. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Manchester United manager. Um, very, very happy. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the United fans I found in Colombia over the last couple of weeks, uh, near, the, near the end of the episode. But for now, um, back to the Premier League at the weekend. It'll be the first time I've watched the Premier League out here because uh, the FA Cup was, was disappointing. Managed to catch most of that game. Um, so yeah, exciting. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, United manager, is a, is a brilliant thing to say and we just hope that he will do the best that he can and that we find the right signings and managed to mould what is a team with lots of potential into a title challenger once more. Now, obviously, the first game of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's permanent reign as United manager was at the weekend in a 2-1 win over Watford at Old Trafford. There was a bit of a party atmosphere before the game. The massive banner unfurled in the Stretford end to congratulate Ole on being appointed as manager. Ole's at the wheel was reverberating around the stadium for 20-30 minutes before the game. It looked like it was all set up for a great atmosphere and hopefully a great performance. And unfortunately, we really didn't didn't deliver on that. We did get the three points, which at the end of the day, I guess, is is the most important thing. But it was a, a, a really terrible performance, to be honest. Um, and I, I, it was a strange game. Like Our performance was just bizarre. There was just no urgency at all. It was so unlike everything that we've seen from Solskjaer. Oh, under Solskjaer, sorry. And there was just no urgency going forward. The midfield, at times the game, it looked like an under-12s game. Neither team had any sort of midfield to speak of. There was a point uh, uh, towards the end of the first half where every time one of the teams went forward, the attack would break down and the other team had about 50 yards of space to run into because neither team were looking to to get any kind of control in midfield. It, It was bizarre to watch a Premier League game kind of play out like that, especially in the first half. You know, if you ever see a game that end to end in the Premier League, it's normally towards the end of the game when both teams are pushing are pushing on to to score a winner. But not in the not in the first half. It was really strange. In in terms of performances, 
the couple of positives were Phil Jones and Luke Shaw for me, kind of the two standout performers. Jones obviously coming back into the side after Victor Lindelof was left out after going through some family troubles. I really hope everything is okay for for Lindelof after the birth of his baby. But Jones came in and he he deputised for Lindelof really really well. He had a great game, especially in the first 20-30 minutes when we were, to be honest, under the cosh for a lot of the game. He was the key in defence and keeping Watford at bay because every time Watford came forward, they looked very dangerous and, and the rest of our back four looked all at sea, really. And Jones was kind of the one sort of stout defender for the whole game. Luke Shaw grew into the game as well. He didn't start that well, but both goals kind of came from from his, his play running forward. Obviously, he had a great assist for the Rashford goal with a brilliant ball through. And then it was kind of his his run down the left, which ended up leading to Martial's goal as well. He did very well in the second half. He was a really good outlet for us down the left. And as we've seen the last few weeks, he, he, defensively, he seems to have improved a lot. He wasn't too troubled by anything that Watford threw at him down there, right? Um, down at our, in our left-back position. He remained solid all day. It's a little bit shaky for the first 15, 20 minutes, but he kept, he kept improving throughout the game. And the whole time he was one of our best outlets in terms of coming out from the back because in midfield we had hardly any control. Anytime Watford attacks break, broke down, we weren't able to, to sustain our own attacks forward through midfield. And it came down to Shaw to provide a lot of that running out wide, especially because of the formation we were playing. We didn't have any natural width in midfield or up front with Rashford and Martial playing quite narrow, especially for the first sort of 20 minutes or so before Solskjaer switched Rashford out to the right. I think in general, I don't want to spend too long on, on the game, so we've already done a lot on, on Solskjaer being appointed. But I think in general, it was a terrible performance. Like I said, there, were, there just wasn't anything going on really going forward. I, I think one matters days at the club are, are close to being numbered. And I, and I don't I don't like saying that because you can see that he still makes so many good runs and he has really good vision when he's on the ball. But physically, I just don't think he's able to cope with the Premier League at the moment. There was a few times where he'd make great runs, you know, uh, either outside, uh, on the right in the first 20, 30 minutes before Rashford got switched and, and Mata went inside. And after Mata went into that sort of almost like false nine position for a while, there was a couple of really good runs that he made in behind. And one that one that sticks out, I think it was around 35 minutes, where Pogba played like a slide rule pass in between um, two of the Watford centre-backs. And Mata runs onto it and tries to do like a Cruyff turn back inside. And he just doesn't have the pace to, to get any any distance away from the defender. Uh, and I think it might have been Britos ends up clearing the ball and, and Watford launched another attack. So I, I don't like saying Mata's days are numbered because he he's still, his football brain is still as good as ever. But physically, I just don't think he's able to really cope with the Premier League now. Rashford and Martial were, were both poor all day, despite both scoring. It seems a little bit weird criticising them after they got the goals, but... Neither of them offered us enough going forward. They were pretty wasteful with the majority of times they got the ball. I don't think Martial had really had a touch of the ball in the first 20 or 25 minutes. And it was just a it was just an awful performance really going forward. I don't I don't really want to dwell on it too much because I'm hoping it will be an anomaly, but it it wasn't fun to watch. And I, I could tell from the first like 10 or 15 seconds. If you go back, if any of you are interested, go back and watch the game and just watch the first the like the very first play from from kickoff where uh, the ball goes to Matic, he plays it out wide to um, Shaw in the left-back position. And then you can see both Pogba and Martial sort of just ambling towards Shaw, like really just very nonchalant, like they don't even care. And Shaw turns back to try and play the ball inside to Jones, but Dini's already cut off that pass. He can't go back to De Gea because it's too risky. He ends up having to kind of dribble back five or ten yards and ends up quite luckily winning a throw, 
when his attempted clearance uh, deflects off the Watford player. As soon as that happened, I could I could see just from that one instant what kind of performance it was going to be. From minute one, and that is you know as early as you can get in the game. From minute one, we just looked lethargic. We looked like we we weren't particularly interested. And like I said, seriously, go back and, and watch the start of the game for anyone that's interested in seeing what I'm talking about. I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but it was just an awful start and it set the tone for the rest of the game. Now, I said I wasn't going to spend too long on the Watford game because there is a lot of other stuff going on this week. So let's move on to the youth loan and women's roundup. So in news for our youth teams, there was no game for United's under-23s this week, but the under-18s did play in a crazy game against Wolves. Going into the last 10 minutes, it was nil-nil. Before a goal from Ethan Galbraith gave United the lead in the 81st minute, Wolves hit back just a few minutes later before finally a Dion McGee winner for United in the 91st minute sealed a nice 2-1 away win for United at St George's Park as they continue in their quest for a good end to the season. In the women's team, there have been two games since the last time I spoke to you, both wins for United. Firstly, a 2-1 win against Charlton followed by a really, really impressive 5-1 hammering at Tottenham, away at Tottenham as well, who were previously top of the league. I say previously top of the league because United's women's team have now overtaken them. They sit four points ahead of Spurs and with a game in hand. And with the end of the season fast approaching, it looks like United could hold on and win the title in just their first season back in the women's championship, which, along with their great FA Cup run, would obviously represent a brilliant return to women's football for United. In low news, Axel Twanzerby was an unused sub for Aston Villa as they won 2-1 against Blackburn in the Championship. James Wilson came on in the last 10 minutes for Aberdeen as they unfortunately lost 2-1 against Hart. Wilson was brought on as Aberdeen looked for an equaliser towards the end of the game but unfortunately was not able to provide one. And finally, Timothy Fosu-Mensah, as I'm sure many of you saw, played the full 90 minutes for Fulham against Man City. He was unfortunately unable to get something over our noisy neighbours as Fulham really just looked like they're kind of waiting for relegation to hit. Obviously happened to Huddersfield this weekend as they were relegated in March and it looks like Fulham will be following very soon behind them, which is obviously unfortunate for Tim Fossumenser and the entire club. So before I go into looking ahead to what's coming up for United, let's quickly stop and hear again from Harry as he gives us an update on what he's been doing in Colombia and the United fans that he has run into down there in South America. So I said I'd give you an update on the Manchester United fans of Colombia. Uh, there's, there's not too many. Uh, being a Spanish-speaking country and uh, influenced by Spanish culture, uh, there are a lot of Real Madrid and Barcelona fans for those that do support a European club. I've seen a couple of Manchester City shirts about, which isn't a surprise given their, their recent success. Uh, the people here love European football, they love the Premier League, they love English football. Uh, they love the culture about it, but not many of them support English teams. Um, they may like an English team, but they tend to like the ones who are playing good football rather than having a particular affection as the, as the fans in, in age do, probably because they have their, their own leagues, which are decent quality. Uh, last night I was at a, a derby match between the two biggest clubs on the Caribbean coast, which is where I am now, between Barranquilla. Uh, their club is, is Junior and uh, Santa Marta, whose club is Union Magdalena. Uh, a 1-1 draw, the fans were amazing. Uh, both ends, the north and south stand, bouncing for the entire game. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen a, a video of it. But yeah, fans were amazing and the, the quality of football was very good. But when you, when you say 
they, they ask me which team I support, whether I'm at a taxi or in a bar or whatever, say Manchester United, and they all recognise it. And I was walking, uh, I was walking in one of the national parks of Colombia, uh, Parque Nacional de Irona, uh, two or three days ago. Uh, I was wearing uh, an old United training top, I think, from about three or four years ago. And just even though it's a little little badge on, on the chest, a little crest, uh, so recognisable, I've stopped three times. Once by someone who said, uh, who just shouted Pogba at me. Uh, another one stopped me, tapped me, and said, espera, espera, wait, wait. And uh, dropped his bag to the floor, took his phone out, and then showed me his lock screen photo of Marcus Rashford, uh, which was nice in, in Bogota. There were, uh, there was a little graffiti thing you would have seen on my Twitter that said MUFC in my hostel, 8,000 miles away. Um, the, yeah, there, there's not a huge amount of United fans. Um, not, I'm not surprised by that, but there is certainly a, a recognition of United and everywhere you go, anytime I wear a Manchester United shirt, there is a couple of shouts of Pogba or, or Rashford or, or whoever. Um, yeah, but the, the football culture is, uh, is amazing as well. Um, I've, I've played football a lot here and it's just, uh, I was coaching for a week in an area called Soacha, which is just outside the capital, which is Bogota. Uh, and Soacha is an area mainly made up of immigrants from La Violencia, from the, the, the wars in the countryside with, with the FARC rebels and various other groups like the ELN. More than 50% of the, the area is, is immigrants. And I was coaching there and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Football here is kind of restored my faith in football as a, as a force for good compared to the I, I love the, the elite game I love Manchester United I love the Premier League and stuff obviously there are many faults with it but I do love it there's no hiding from that but football here has kind of restored my faith as a, as a, as a force for good saying that though I was playing football at, uh, playing and coaching at 3,000 metres altitude in, in Bogota and you, you do one sprint and instantly bent over my lungs absolutely bursting um but yeah, Colombia's been, been amazing so far. Colombians are very welcoming and they, they love football so much that whenever you're, you're in a long taxi drive or sitting next to someone on a, on a 12 or 13 hour coach, it's pretty easy to make conversation because they, there's no one who doesn't like football here. For the, for the match yesterday between Barranquilla and, and Santa Marta, uh, I was walking through the city about eight o'clock in the morning. Um, the match was scheduled for 6.15 in the evening and, and the whole day every street you turned down every corner you moved across there were at least five or six shirts of the of the local team of Junior de Barranquilla on each each street um, it's a country just uh, obsessed with football and it's, a, it's an amazing country and a very safe country much safer than uh, possibly expected and many people say um, but yeah I've been listening to the, to the Manchester United weekly podcast uh, Help me keep up to date uh, from from my co-host Jack, which has been slightly surreal experience, but very nice. Um, yeah, letting him do all the work. So I I hope you're enjoying it. I hope um, it, it's also quite nice to be away from the 24/7 Twitter stream of Manchester United rumours as well. I can't lie. So maybe that will change my my actions in the future. Um, but there we go. Hope you're enjoying the show, uh, and I'll try and appear um, after United's next game. Hopefully we'll be having more stories from Harry about great interactions with the United fans in South America as he moves on from Colombia down to Argentina 
very, very soon. But moving on, let's look ahead to what is coming up for United as we enter a really busy and really pivotal part of our season. So starting with tomorrow night when we travel to Molyneux again just a few weeks after we played Wolves in the FA Cup and got soundly beaten. We'll travel back to Molyneux uh, on Tuesday night to try and get some revenge over Nuno's men. Obviously the last time we went there put in probably our worst performance under Solskjaer I would say. Um, Up there with the one against Watford this weekend actually. So hopefully we can go and put in a better performance and come away with three points because based on how tight it is at the top of the Premier League at the moment in the race for top four, we have to have to win. I'm recording this a few hours before Arsenal play against Newcastle in the Monday night game. So by the time we kick off against Wolves, we may be slightly further behind Arsenal. But even if Arsenal win, I believe third and sixth will be separated by all of four points. Um, I think at the moment, Chelsea are on 60 uh, and Spurs in third are on 61. And if Arsenal win, they go to 64. Um, I may have got some of those a little bit wrong, but regardless of the exact numbers, the point is is extremely, extremely tight at the top and we can't afford to be dropping any points against any team really until the end of the season if we want to be able to get top four. And after the Wolves game, we have a weekend off and then go into a massive, massive game at home against Barcelona in the Champions League. As I said on the last episode, it's going to be a very, very tough game with Messi looking insane, although he has been injured for the last couple of weeks and there is a very slight chance that he may not be back, although I think he will be. And if he is playing, he has been in scintillating form in the last sort of month or two. But it's going to be such an exciting game. I'll do a full preview of the game after uh, after the Wolves game where I'll review that um, and look ahead to the Barcelona game. But I just can't wait already. We're over a week away and I'm already starting to, to get really, really excited about it. I can't wait to see what we can do, especially with a full week's preparation, which you obviously don't normally get before a Champions League game. But since we have the weekend off, we have a whole week to prepare for the Barcelona game. So hopefully we can come up with a good game plan and come out and, and really just put in a good performance against Barca. In other news, the sort of main rumours circulating today are that Ander Herrera has agreed to join PSG on a free transfer in the summer. I'm, I'm torn about this one. I think I have sort of two main main thoughts on it. One is that I would prefer to see Ander Herrera not leave. I think I don't think he's good enough to, to be a starter for us next year and I hope he isn't starting whether he stays or not because I don't think a title challenge inside re- realistically can have Herrera starting for them every single week. There's no disrespect to Herrera. I, I really like him and he clearly loves the club. I just don't think he's good enough to play as that third midfielder alongside Pogba and Matic. So so in that sense, I don't want him to leave. I want him to stay and sort of be a, a squad player. On the other hand, though, if some of the wage demands that we've been hearing from the papers are true, and that obviously needs to come with a, a cubic metre of salt because with some of the reports we've been hearing from the papers have just been downright contradictory so who knows exactly what's going on but if some of the reports are correct and he's demanding sort of upwards of £200,000 a week in wages then I I don't think we should be paying him that much I'd much rather us go out and sign a couple of new players to fill that role in the summer who I think could offer us more than Herrera does at the moment he's not worth paying that much money and at some point we have to start setting out a stool where we don't let players like Herrera and Fellaini just back us into a corner and end up bowing to their wage demands. So we end up with a a massively bloated wage bill like we have now. You know, I mentioned earlier how poorly the club has been run in the last few years with Ed Woodward handing out massive contracts left, right and centre. That has to stop eventually. And why not now take a stand and and set our stall out and make sure that players know that they can't just come in 
and demand massive wages and know that they'll get away with it all the time. Yes, he'll be he'll be a loss. I'd be sad to see him go because I do genuinely really like him. But at the end of the day, he isn't one of our mo- most important players. I think there are much better players out there that we could bring in over the summer. And regardless of if he stays or not, we need to be bringing, bringing in replacements. The only thing I would worry about if he leaves is exactly that. Will we actually bring in a replacement? We need to be bringing in at least one new midfielder in the summer anyway. So if we have to bring in another one or maybe look to the youth team, the likes of James Garner, give Scott McTominay a bigger role, then you know maybe that's the way that we should be looking. And last, the last piece of news that I'm going to talk about very quickly is Paul Pogba's interview while he was away on France duty last week where he was asked about the possibility of joining Real Madrid and hinted that it would be something that he would be very interested in and who knows what the future holds. It's just really another example of of Pogba. I don't take it as seriously as some people are taking it in terms of him like pining for a move to Madrid. But at the end of the day, I do think it's just kind of an unnecessary answer to give. You know, it would have been very easy for Pogba to just say, I'm a Manchester United player, I don't want to talk about any other clubs. And that would just get rid of any speculation. And especially when he's in bad form like he is at the moment, not showing great attitude on the pitch. I can totally understand why people are criticising him a lot. You guys all know that I am one of Pogba's biggest supporters. I think I love him. I think he's a great player. And I think a lot of the sort of supposed issues around his attitude are massively overblown simply because he's a black, if flamboyant footballer. And, and both of those things play a big role in the negative portrayal that he gets from the media and from a lot of fans. But there are times when I think he doesn't help himself. And this is definitely one of those occasions. There was no need to be to be saying what he said. And even though Solskjaer tried to defuse the situation in an interview today when he said, you know, Paul Pogba wasn't talking necessarily about himself. He was just giving a general answer that most players would in, enjoy playing at Real Madrid. And I appreciate what Oli's saying. And I think that's actually a very, you know, very good way of answering, kind of trying to defuse the situation. I, I still just can't get out of my head that Pogba doesn't need to be saying that kind of stuff. Not only does he not need to be talking about Real Madrid, which obviously isn't necessarily down to him, it's down to the questions, although Pogba can be swatting the questions away. You know, there there's a way that you answer a question like that, and it's not by saying, oh, I would love to go and play for Real Madrid one day. We see him not playing very well, not having a great attitude on the pitch, and then it's what seems like him sort of pining for a move away to Real Madrid... So yeah, I can understand why there's a lot of anger towards him. Personally, I don't see it as him actively looking for a move to Real Madrid. I see it more as as just a stupid and frankly quite immature answer to a question. But I do understand a lot of the criticism that he's been getting in the last week and, you know, quite rightly so because he didn't handle that question well at all. Now, that is all we have time for on this week's episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'll be back before the Barcelona game to look back at a hopefully good performance against Wolves and to preview the massive Champions League game against Barcelona. If you want to hear more from me, follow me on Twitter at UTDTate, T-A-I-T. If you want to keep updated on what Harry is doing down in South America and hopefully his many escapades with United fans in Colombia, you can follow him on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and you can follow the podcast itself at UTDWeeklyPod, that's P-O-D at the end there. As always, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. And if you can, please drop us a review on iTunes and a rating over there. That would be great. Thank you all for listening and I will speak to you all very again very soon. Goodbye.
Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.